lunch. Lunch. Which sounds like lunch. Oh, Canada. Oh, hey. Look at that. Can you go my any further? My home and native land. Oh, my goodness. This is surprising. Please continue. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. <laughs> True patriot love. See, that's why I wouldn't remember something like that. our sons command. <laughs> True patriot love. Yep. That feels like a bastardization of the word love to me for some reason. Yeah. But yeah. but why? That's my own hang mm. up. Right? No? Hmm. What do you think? Do you have patriot love? Do you have true patriot love? I have love? no patriot love. <laughs> I have none. None did you used to? No. I'm not... <laughs> I just feel maybe it was like, maybe it was growing up in the church and feeling like, okay, my allegiance is to, well, the Iwana flag. I mean, I said that a lot. <laughs> my allegiance is to the Iwana flag. Yeah. Um, Ooh, but this Eric says like, our home on native land. Sorry to interrupt exactly. you. But that's, woo, Eric. Yeah. Eric, come on. Yeah. So your home is Iwana? Well, it just like... I think we're we're told your citizenship is of heaven and things like that. And I remember feeling, and I think it's a little bit different in Canada than it is in the states, or at least that's my assumption in Vancouver. That I don't I don't know a lot of people who are like, Canada is the greatest. Mm-hmm. We need to be the strongest and biggest and most powerful and the best at everything. Is this passive aggressive, Hillary? Yeah. <laughs> Who are you talking about? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said it, but now that you're saying it, uh, no, I'm just joking. Yeah. So I, I guess I just never really thought of allegiance net, like na- I'm not into nationalism. I'm more into humanism, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and decolonization than adhering to this, I guess this structure that's created by people who's about land that they don't, that doesn't even belong to them. Like it just seems like a kind of abstract construct for me to have mm-hmm. to create a country, to move onto someone's land and be like, this is mine. And now I govern it. It seems. Yeah. Humanism, planetism, universalism. Planetism. Yeah. Something like that. Isism. That's what I is, mean. Too. Is, I'm just into ism. Okay. So I want to ask you, are you, how do you relate to patriotism or nationalism? Um, I like a lot of restaurants in the United States. <laughs> That's your entry point into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But, but you know, <laughs> the rest of it, eh. <laughs> eh, at best. No, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have like a better, 
I, it's so easy to critique capitalism and to critique nationalism mm. and to for me like there's so, it's mm-hmm. so obviously like we spend trillions of dollars on war machines yeah but we can't even give all of our citizens yet alone the world clean water right um so that's it's it's like so obviously shitty um in so many ways but i don't i'm not smart enough to know like what i'm recommending in its place mm. <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know is, i think what we do at the borders is absurd and we dehumanize mm. people and and we're and it, and it leads to xenophobia and i've heard you know greg the guy that was um the yes Canadian guy that yeah. worked with a liturgist for the first several years and was going to move here and be a part of it with us more on the ground and got caught at the border right after, I mean, it was like a few years ago now, um, two or three years ago. Maybe it was mm-hmm. two, I don't know how long it was, but um, before COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it was 2018. Um, okay. And mm-hmm. it was treated so poorly at the border and like banned for life from the states for no reason it, just like yeah. you got a bad border agent yeah and i can look at that and be like america ah, fuck america um <laughs> but i also don't know what how could we actually have what if we just got rid of borders what does that do hmm. um i would love a world without borders it feels, seems like romantic and lovely to me just for all of us to be family, Earth's family, mm-hmm. uh, where we don't have war machines. But practically speaking, with human nature and with a few people having war machines that, that could then take over everybody else, what do you do? So right. I feel about patriotism like this is where I live. I am, I, on one level, fully accept it as what is and I'm grateful that I'm alive and see a lot of beautiful people trying their best um, and the other hand see all these systems that are capitalistic and patriarchal and white supremacist and and terribly problematic in all sorts of ways um, so I don't know I don't like have any flags flying at my house. (laughs) (laughs) I've been listening to this podcast called scene on radio about see it's called the series is called seeing whiteness. I think it's season three and they're looking at how whiteness was constructed from a historical sociocultural perspective. Like where did that even come from? And I learned recently through that podcast, um, and they have a bunch of scholars and historians and stuff talk about the politics of race and um, like historians who have really, really, I think, important things to say about the water that we swim in that we don't know we're in. Um, but they were talking about how before there was race as a, as a constructed phenomena, people identified with their... Uh, country of origin. So where are you from? And, and that was seen as the primary identity over skin color, which Uh. I thought was really interesting. Um, 
So you would, every, you know, people would come to the States when they would colonize the land and would say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Brit or uh-huh. I'm Portuguese or this is where I'm from, regardless of what your skin color was. Uh-huh. And that it's moving away from that particular classification of people that was connected to the construction of race. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting to learn. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, that's, uh, yeah, whiteness, like, erases any of those other distinctions, right? It's like, yeah, you yeah. belong. You're not Irish or British or right. Swedish or whatever anymore. It's like, right. Yeah. But then, is <laughs> yeah. But then what? I don't know. It's an interesting, because it leaves some people out. Is that what the damage is? Like if just everybody was, forget the word white, because white, yeah, white based on skin color, but if it's American for this idea of American, America, what any like erasure of those other things, there's a violence to it, but is there also, is there any kind of ideal that's like worth having in that of like, yeah, cool, you're, you were British and now you're American. Like, is there, what are we going for? I'm not, I don't know. I, I don't have a place that I'm trying to take this. I'm just like hmm. looking at that. I suddenly become aware, like when we touch this, how outside my realm of expertise I am. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> like, this is to me, um, I'm very aware of my incompetence in when discussing critical race theory, etc. But you want to talk about diagnostic criteria for PTSD? I'm your gal. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about Dorian scales? I'm your man. Oh, yeah. What is the perfect <laughs> mashup of our skill sets? The Liturgist Podcast. <laughs> I just walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> It's true. How are you doing? How am I doing? Yeah. I didn't sleep great last night. So I'm I'm feeling tired this morning. I don't know if you know this about me. I like nine hours. I like a nine. solid That's a nine. Solid. <laughs> That's a solid <laughs> night of sleep. It's so if you sleep nine hours the next night, can you sleep another nine hours? Like oh, if yeah. you have the time? Oh, big time. Every night. Every night I could do it. If every I sleep night. nine hours the next night, I'm not going to be able to fall asleep till like three. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but w- we can be different people and need different things. I thought you were going to finally give me my diagnosis. Oh God! Like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone's told you this, but here on here's this platform, what you, here's what you have. <laughs> no. Not happening. Not happening. But if um, you wouldn't mind, just hold up your finger real quick. I'm just going to... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you move back and forth. I'm going to move. I'm going to give myself a little EMDR here. That's right. That's right. But I uh, had... I I went to bed. I, I'm doing this puzzle right now. Ooh. I'm real into puzzles. How it's big? a puzzle. Um, two, 2,500 pieces. It's <sighs> a lot of pieces. Yeah. And I, I have like these kind of obsessional tendencies and they really go, I let them go wild with the puzzle. Wow. Um, 
So my compulsions around organizing and, and yeah. putting, uh, getting all the pieces in the right order and flipping them over and co- coordinating them based on color and size and shape and all of that. I'll send you a picture after it's pretty hilarious. So, so you, you I, start with categorizing them. Oh, well, no, start with the edges. Yeah. You start with the edges. So, because yeah. please, <laughs> this is, we all know. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> start with the edges, but then we'll try to organize them, categorize the pieces and look for similar shapes and colors and things that would be grouped together and then think about where they'd go on the actual puzzle. So last night I had some time and I went deep into the puzzle and I, it was one in the morning and I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't stop. And Kevin was like coming into the living room. He's like, love, you gotta go to bed. Like it's going to take you a while to wind down. You're really focused. (laughs) You're really jazzed with the puzzle. You're going to need to settle down. It's time to start your wind down routine. And I was like, I can't stop. It felt so, it was so exciting. I was like really making progress. And then it took me a while to wind down. And then I was up. So I probably went, I was in bed around two and then at seven I woke up and I, my alarm hadn't gotten off. Mm. off. I don't know what's going on. So I'm feeling tired. I didn't get my, my usual, my usual nine hours. (laughs) That's, that's how I'm doing. (laughs) It's so long. When you, when you like step back from knowing that eight hours is like the thing people say, like every day I have to lay in bed for nine hours. Oh my God. It's so long. It's nine hours. Is long Sometimes on weekends, if I'm not, if I'm not getting up for something, I can sleep 11, 12. I've slept, oh. I slept 13 hours last week easily. Wait, in one night, 13 oh, hours? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And then the next night you can sleep. I'll like, sleep fine. Wow, Hillary. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I think it's I think it's so many years of grad school, like I was joking about Yeah, like sleep debt, right? There is yeah. such a thing as sleep debt where your body actually needs to make up for it. But I was like up till three, four in the morning writing papers every night and then at an eight AM class for years. Hmm. And I think now I'm just making up for it. I want to go back to the yeah. puzzles for a okay. second. Because <laughs> <Okay. Okay. laughs> what is it that makes people like puzzles or not like puzzles? Puzzles for me are a nightmare. Really? Can I you would, say more about that? Yeah, what is it? It's like there's there. I've got to believe that it's related to why playing I love classical music but playing and performing it is so much more stressful mm. than playing like jazz for me mm. um, if there's a correct way of something being done mm. it feels like daunting to me and mm. kind of like oh no I'm doing it I'm, when there's a wrong I get mm. I'm not a big fan of wrong like right Got black it. and whiteness. Right. Um, I'm also not very visually intelligent. <laughs> like Really? Yeah. If I go I think I've said this on here before, but like I was with a friend one time I went to the coffee shop and I had to like put the coffee cup next to the all the lids to be like, which one is it? And they're like, Do you always have mm. to do that? Like you don't just know <laughs> 
notice that that's oh, right. okay. <laughs> the right size. Like, no, okay. that's difficult for me. I can't just like eyeball it and be like, that's the one. Um, oh. So like visual, visual spatial mapping. Yeah. Stuff. Are we getting close to a diagnosis here? No. Stop. <laughs> that's not... <laughs> No, because we're that's we're not even in that department. On my home, pla- on my home planet, we don't Do have eyeballs that re- <laughs> react to photons. <laughs> uh, so yeah, puzzle is just like what? Uh, it's not maybe it. Maybe that's part of it too. I don't know. What about a a mental puzzle like a riddle? I like riddles. Okay. Mm, that's interesting. So it's not that you don't like yeah, the solving. I like solving. You I love like video solving. games. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is there something... What is different about video games than the jigsaw puzzle? Tanner like asks inter- Sudoku. I actually do like Sudoku a little bit. I don't do it all the time, but I, I, I had a little phase. Sudoku okay. phase. Okay. Oh, yeah. Did you carry around a book? No, a I had my phone. Book? It was in my phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I was hoping for some sort of insight about what people generally like, but maybe this is just me, this weird guy. Well, you were in, hoping for insight about... Oh, like what makes people like puzzles versus not like puzzles. But I'm sure there's a Well, I can of... tell you why I like puzzles. Yeah, why do you like them? Um, and maybe there's a kind of like Rorschach thing here where we can impose our value meaning systems on it. Mm. I, when I was working on really long projects, like when I think about my master's thesis or my dissertation, this is like a four year project from start to finish. And you don't see at the end of the day, visually, you don't see the work you've done. So I'd like sit at my computer all day. And sometimes if you're editing, there's actually not even more words on the page. Sometimes there's less words on the page. So there's all these elements that are going, that you're working on to refine this project that you're doing for years. And there's no cues that tell your brain you accomplished something. And there's all this research that was, oh my gosh, I think it might be Steve Iliardi, Steve Iliardi, a researcher who looked at communities where depression is not pervasive Hmm. historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, or where it didn't exist. And there were a few specific mm. things that showed up in those communities. And one of them was that people could look at their work at the end of the day and see what they'd done in a way that induced a kind of like satisfaction. Mm. Yeah. Like, oh, I've accomplished something. Oh, like the field has been plowed. That does or like feel all good. The, right? Yeah. And so I think it might've been when I learned about that research, I was like, okay, what can I do where I feel like I can measure? Oh, Yeah. Or I can observe, maybe not even measure, but like observe like, oh, something's, I put a piece in yeah. where I didn't put a piece in yesterday and something is coming together. And it felt like this smaller scale representation of this big work that was kind of invisible. It's so weird. Even you just saying that like makes me feel a little different about a puzzle. Ooh. Like I could imagine if I believed I was accomplishing something by putting together a puzzle. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And it's all about like, where do we assign meaning? So if someone is like, oh, I'm accomplishing something by watering my plants 
or by tying yeah, up at the totally. end of the day. But those those things didn't, I guess, they don't mean as much to me. So there was something about being able yeah. to, the, like the building and not necessarily just taking things apart or cleaning up, but like I'm making something mm. and that cues me into feeling like, oh, I've done, I've, I can see time passing. I can see movement. I can accomplish something. That's really interesting. Yeah, that makes sense to me. puzzle time now? I mean, that's kind of like the fun of going through a video game where this will do... I mean, right? I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, maybe but here's where it gets... It. You what, just, sorry? Maybe it's as simple as I'm not good at puzzles. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then here's where it gets really interesting. I went to my parents' house this weekend. It's my dad's birthday. And my dad and I used to do puzzles together all the time when I was a kid. Mm. We'd spend hours doing them each night when we talk. And there's this thing in therapy that it's kind of an old school philosophy, but it's called the third object. And the idea is if you're struggling to talk or it feels like it's too intense to connect in some ways, if you put a third object between you, like a chess game or a football oh, yeah. or your right? Like it loosens up the conversation. It lubricates mm-hmm. the like ease of communication because your defenses are down. Cause we're thinking on this other thing. So my dad and I would have all these great conversations while we were puzzling. So we have a history of puzzling together. And I said, Hey, are you working on a puzzle? And he said, yes, I am. And he brought me into their dining room where this puzzle is spread out. It's the creation of man. When with the fingers touch Adam mm-hmm. and God mm-hmm. and his puzzle pieces are laid out on the table in the exact same way that I lay mine out by color and shape. There's like this strategy that we both use. And it mm-hmm. was just like, we never talked about it growing up. We never did. I never did that growing up, but I was like, Oh my gosh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We, we strategize. We both do puzzles on our own independently for fun and we both strategize in the exact same way and I just thought that was just a great little thing to know <laughs> there's nothing else to yeah. the story that's it the story's over wait do you think you did you learn it from him or you just think it like epigenetically was passed down yeah, to you that's what I mean it's like we've never talked about it we did we developed this specific strategy Independently, independently at the exact same time that's really interesting and i'm gonna put the the photo fo- i took a photo of it and i'm gonna put it in the chat so everyone can see i was really happy to find like- out when i found out that mike and i had developed the same um decision making <gasps> test for ourselves oh before we okay knew each other. I- oh can you tell me more yeah, we, his was obviously more, uh, I mean, his was like involved, he put it in a spreadsheet and I just kind of did it <laughs> freehand. Okay. Um, but it was the same principle. We had, we came up with the same, one time he's like, okay, I need to put this through my decision-making matrix or whatever he called it. Oh. And I was like, what is that? And he showed me, I was like, I do that exact same thing. Wow. Um, that was a fun little, but basically what we do is... <clears throat> determine all of the variables affected by the decision okay all the things that you value so let's say uh, okay. where i'm gonna move i'm gonna okay, move great i'm gonna move to portland or boulder 
And so what are all the variables that are important to me in that decision and that are affected by it? Weather, friends, um, job, hmm. um, cost of living, blah, 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 all the things. Yeah, all of them. Okay. And then you rate those things, you can, whatever scale you want, say so you could just say a 10 point scale and of, of, uh, of 10 points, how important is weather? Mm. Six points. Mm. How important is friends? Eight points. How important is close to family? Mm-hmm. Whatever, all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you score in the, in the other axis, you score, uh, each so portland what does portland get for weather portland gets mm. a four and boulder gets an eight and then you multiply and then you do that through the whole thing okay. and then you multiply those two numbers so portland the weather is four and the importance of weather is six I don't know, that's what i said but so that gets 24 mm-hmm. points for that category and every oh. so then you add up all the points for each city whatever gets the higher score if you're honest with yourself about what's most important and give it an accurate score theoretically you've got your decision how that's amazing by the way (laughs) i have so many follow-up questions (laughs) first what choices have you made using this rubric most of my major decisions no most of my yeah that's amazing and it just lines up what i find is it line, lines up there's been times that it came out with a slightly wrong score and i was like why does that feel wrong oh and then i was like maybe i'm being dishonest about one of these categories maybe it really wow. is more important to me that i'm closer to family whatever that's not the thing but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> obviously my family lives in new york and oklahoma yeah, yeah, um yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, maybe I'm not as, uh, maybe it's whatever for the friendship thing is, mm-hmm. is higher on my list than I think it is. Mm-hmm. And then when I adjust that and be like, maybe that is more like a nine, then it adjusts the numbers and the numbers turn out accordingly. Wow. That's incredible. Okay. So you've made many major decisions using this rubric. Mm-hmm. That was going to be my next question is how does it relate to like gut instinct or um, emotional decision making, emotional reasoning that has less to do with the facts and more, mm-hmm. but like, but I like that better. But I think this, I think the test puts that, brings that into account. And if you're honest about the emotions of like, what, what are, what are important to you emotionally of these factors? Um, or are there factors that I'm not including in this? Mm. Mm-hmm. If the numbers turn out wrong, like I think I could manipulate a test to, you know, if I was going to say, should I, you know, leave everyone that I love and go be a, fl- learn how to play flamenco guitar in Spain by myself. I could put some like, there's a lot that I would love about going to learn about flamenco guitar mm. in Spain by myself. And if I really rated those high, like, oh, mm-hmm. independence and. Right. And creativity and but I would have to be pretty unconscious of all the ways that those would get quashed by me leaving my world. Would you would you ever rate um negative numbers? Like it would actually be really bad 
I love we're really getting into like this family. <laughs> I uh, it's a good it's a good question. What the lowest it would get is zero. It's a good question. Mm. Uh, I think to be accurate, you'd have to be able to to insert some negatives. Possibly, I haven't included negatives. But we were doing a similar. Uh, We did a similar test one time with a friend who was talking about they're looking at like what it would take for them to sleep with somebody. And mm-hmm. and she had this whole um matrix that was basically like trying to determine all the factors and like what would it be. And into discussing that it was a different kind of thing, but that's negative numbers came up like but there are some things that are just a, a deal breaker. Regardless right. of how it's just like, right. so how do you, <laughs> how do you incorporate just full on deal breakers into right. the scenario? So I'm not saying it's a perfect uh, test, but so that is a, it is a good observation mm. there. The, the math too, like I'm, this is going to be so rudimentary to name out loud, but when we, when we times any negative number by a positive number, it retains its negative value. Mm-hmm. That's true. So it would kind of screw up the whole test if you included negative numbers in there. Except if you had enough negatives, then it would cancel out and it would be positive again and it would destroy the system. You'd be like, this is so far into this test. You can't, you can't just rely on the numeric value. I'm so glad the mind of Dr. Hillary McBride has been engaged. In this, <laughs> this is the decision-making best, matrix. The best use. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a valuable thing, though, and I've done it for many yeah. people that I love that are like having a hard time with the decision, That's great. and it's helped them. The all of the research about decision-making is super interesting. Like it, I think there's a there's a slice in here too when you cut it by your Myers Briggs type indicator. Like some people make more de- decisions more by factual information and assessing logic and other people just kind of have this gut instinct reaction. But if you take out or damage or impair the emotion centers of the brain, people can't and won't make decisions. Mm. So it suggests on some level that wow. we actually need emotion. Because yeah. mm-hmm. you have to have a preference. Em- it's a desire. Yeah. yeah to make exactly. a decision is a desire. Yeah. So you, the logic even though the math is there in this decision-making rubric, like you're saying you felt a sense of resonance with what intuitively seemed like mm-hmm. yeah. the choice. And then we're able to reverse engineer it to figure out where you had. I think what I of, like about it is mm-hmm. you might have, when you're making decisions, is that you, you have gut instincts, but there might, you might be applying more, or there might be more emotional gravitas to something that you don't want to have emotional gravitas. So let's say mm. I'm going to move into this house or this house, but this house happens to have a golden retriever in the next door living there. And I was bit by a golden retriever when I was a kid mm. and that terrifies me. And so I might be feeling like an emotional 10 about not living next to a golden retriever, that doesn't mean I want to make a decision based on that emotional 10. Mm. I'm going to give that a two because I know I, I need to deal with that and figure it out. 
and maybe my gut's a little off in that. Hmm. And so I can I can feel what I'm feeling and notice what I'm feeling, but I'm only going to prioritize it here. I need you to... I need to, to hear just a bit more to think I okay, to understand okay. what so, you're saying. Let's say... We'll keep the test simple. I'm moving to house A or house B. House okay. A has the golden retriever living next door. And amazing everything, analogy, everything, everything, <laughs> <laughs> everything in house B is actually better. Oh. Like all the scores are better. I'm sorry, in house A are better. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Except yep. the golden retriever. And when I think about the two, when I just feel it, mm. and I don't actually parse what I'm feeling out at all. Mm-hmm. I just look at house A and go, it's really great, but I don't know. I don't got a good feeling. What's mm. going on? Um, I feel a little bit more prone to house B, mm. even though everything makes more sense. But then when I really look into it, and I go, oh, there's this gold right. retriever piece of it. And I think that might be the thing that's making my gut go. Mm. Right. Yes. But I don't necessarily want to include that as the most important thing in my decision making matrix. Wow. If I, I mean, set you're that describing. Aside, yeah. You set that aside. Yeah. Then I can see that in every other ma- every other metric, house A is the right decision for me. Right. Although maybe some other variables then that need to be considered are like, do I have a sufficiently trained trauma therapist to help me work on my golden retriever trauma? Right. right. Do I have a support system? around me nearby with which I could resource myself should a golden retriever incident occur again. Yeah. Um, do I feel shame about my golden retriever trauma? And am I, am I giving myself permission? <laughs> We're going in. I love it. We're going in. We're in. <laughs> but this is like, this is what therapy is. Essentially people are making choices and moving through mm. their life. And they're like, why do I keep? Yeah. I mean, it's not always this case, but like, why do I keep, dating people who are abusive to me Mm. and how come am I attracted to them? Like what's going on that has wired me in such a way that I am feeling compelled to, this is like Freud's repetition compulsion, like re-engage with these patterns that hurt me, but not understand what's going on as it's happening. Like how come I can't see my unconscious self and use all of my unconscious material to make good choices for myself? Mm. Well, there you go. There you go. I want to go back to sleep. Yeah. Tell me about your preferred sleep timing, Mm. duration, all of that. I like when I get eight hours, I feel great, but it is a little hard for me. I feel like my body operates on sort of like a 22 hour, no, 26 hour clock. Okay. Okay. So if I get <laughs> if I get my full eight hours, it's a little harder for me to go to bed at that same time oh. the next night. So I think I think seven seven and a half is okay. pretty ideal for me. I'm fine with six. Okay. Um, especially funny enough, like especially if I'm very um. If, if my mind is calm and still mm-hmm. and I have enough silence in my life and enough, then I just, I don't know, I feel more just rested in general mm-hmm. and don't need quite as much sleep. Um, and then I, 
I mean, yeah, I, I would prefer if I could just extend the clock two hours and then just like stay up till midnight every night. Oh. But then the next night it's two hours later and it feels like 2 a.m. to me. Right. Then I'm ready to go to bed. But if it's mid, it's a, I have a hard time 20, on a 24-hour cycle like staying right. in the exact same rhythm. And did you notice that having kids changed sleep and your relationship to sleep? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the most. I remember like when we hired, when we, we got an au pair, Monique, oh, okay. a couple of years ago. And it was funny when there's like laws and rules about what the au pair can do. And, and realizing at the time, like, oh, parenting is inhumane because it's like you can't yeah. even make, you can't hire somebody to do what a parent does or it like is more like slavery than employment. <laughs> it's like not, it's not humane because you can't tell somebody, yeah, you, you just got to be on the clock for 24 hours a day. Right. And, Psychological torture. Yeah. And if they wake up at three in the morning, well, that's on you. Uh, you just can't do that to another human being unless you're the parent. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it messed with sleep. I mean, finally, I, I, so, not that long ago, it was a handful of months ago, that Lucy didn't wake us up in the middle of the night. Oh, wow. And Lisa and I woke up in the morning, we looked at each other like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what <laughs> happened? We woke up and it's morning. Wow. Uh, that was amazing. Oh. That takes a toll. That definitely yes. takes a toll, having like the interrupted sleep and the like. Poor Tanner's. How are you doing, Tanner, with all that these days? No, he's going through that for a while, but um, it's, it's bad. You can't hear me, but it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listeners, he just responded and said it's bad. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not great for mental health. Oh no, it's it's horrible. In fact, like there are all these metrics. Like we've been talking about health on a few other we've had a few other conversations like what is health how do you define health but if we're looking at like optimal functioning of a of a biological human being of the human being's biology sleep is like one of those things that is non-negotiable like enough sleep and it can make the difference for people between psychosis or not like it is and in terms of longevity too, like what happens in terms of your brain getting detoxified when you sleep, memory encoding, mm-hmm. your ability to heal, emotionally regulate, not freak out at other people. Yeah. It's the real big. deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Mars has 24, five hour days, says Meg. I saw that. Thanks, Meg. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking my home That's planet has You're into it? 26. 25 to 26. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the alien podcast. You got to make the joke every now and then. Yeah. You got to take that bait. Uh, hey, did you, would you, um, when the girls grow up, would you, because I'm thinking like because of Monique and because of the girls have this routine, this regularity because other people are from planet earth in mm-hmm. your home. Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider having a 26-hour day? I would love and to just try like, it. Yes. Just to try cycling it. Cycling through. Yeah. The problem, 
it does suck once you get into the like going to bed at five or six. Mm. I mean, because it has tended to happen when I haven't had kid responsibility. Right. Even for like on tour or something, if we have help with the kids where or I'm out of town or whatever, I do tend to like go to bed later every night. Um, But then once you get into the like four, five, six, it gets a little depressing for me because then Mm. you like you wake up and the day's pretty gone. Right. (laughs) There's like not a lot of sunlight left. That gets depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, if the sun could follow me, like, if could I travel through time zones? That would be fun. Ooh. Just go west huh. every day a little. Right. <laughs> Just <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Just one or two time zones. <laughs> there is something cool about being awake when everybody else is asleep. Yeah. Do you like that in the morning or in the night better? I just don't. I'm not. I don't get up early in the morning, so I don't <laughs> usually have that experience. But there's been a few occasions where I have, where it feels special. I oh, wish. I, love I it. wish there was another way to describe it, but no, it feels special. I mean, it's yeah, it's a different world when the world is sleeping. Yeah. It feels it's quiet and it's. I don't know. It's kind of the same feel. What, one of my favorite places we ever lived was on the 39th floor of this building in Denver. Hmm. And it was just up above the rest of the world. And you could just kind of, I don't know. It's similar to that feeling. It's like, Mm. you're kind of set apart from everything Mm -hmm. in a way that you kind of like look out at the world, at the world. Mm. I don't know. You're not like in the hustle and bustle of it. You're just like, right. Was it ever, um, scary to be that high up not for me oh, okay uh if you look if i look over the edge like sometimes if i look over our balcony then i get oh oof. i feel <laughs> you're you're in your home <laughs> on ground level <laughs> in los angeles i've been in that room and you mock Leaning over the balcony <laughs> in an apartment yeah. you no longer live in that and I've never seen. You got the heebie Yes, it freaked me out. <laughs> Are you afraid of heights? I I think so, as evidenced by my reaction just yeah. there. I mean, it's a um, reasonable. It's one of the re- more reasonable fears. It seems like. Yeah. You're afraid of heights. And I have. I think I've told you this. I have a history of OCD and I don't, I don't have compulsions in the same way right now, but I still get intrusive thoughts all the time. Mm -hmm. So like sitting at the, sitting at a red light and spontaneously imagining that I put my foot on the gas instead of the brake and I kill everybody. Like how often does that happen? Like that. Oh, daily. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But one of the kinds of intrusive, like how vivid is that? Just a flash. Okay. And then I'm like, that's not happening. A picture of yeah, feeling. picture, and it's also almost like the impulse. Like, what if I, what if I did that? Yeah, and it's pretty. A lot of moms postpartum get that. They're like, what mm-hmm. if I held my baby under the water while bathing? Mm-hmm. What if I, what if I threw this knife at someone? Like, it's just really bizarre yeah. cognitive content. But one of the kinds of intrusive thoughts that I get is if I'm on something tall, or like high up, the thought is, what if I threw I myself, threw myself off, off of it? Yeah, yeah. And like no interest, not suicidal. Yeah, yeah. It's just the thought and it's 
terrifying. So it feels scary to get close to the edge mm. of things, almost as if like wow. it's more likely to happen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The brain's weird, right? The brain's real weird. Super weird. <laughs> I threw myself on me. Yeah. I don't think that's like totally abnormal. Seems like a lot of people. I don't know. Yeah. Those kind of things. Well, we, we have bizarre content cognitively all the time all the time but it's just not disturbing in nature so we don't attribute any meaning to it and we don't disengage from whatever we're doing like i don't know this morning one of the first things i thought when i got out of bed was like oh pizza's delicious (laughs) how busy is your mind (laughs) how busy is your mind as you go through your day like and Uh, a I lot could, less since developing a rigorous mindfulness practice okay. that's really helped but yeah yeah it's like things are like firing i'm like <laughs> why sounds like lisa it's so funny yeah she was, we'll be sitting there for 30 seconds i'll be like can you tell me what just happened in your brain <laughs> and she'll be like you don't want to know i'm like come on <laughs> and she'll just go through this whole thing <laughs> it's so funny i have a good laugh it's not but, like that for you no mm. no i mean yeah no she'll be like what happened in your mind and i was like boom <laughs> <laughs> or like a pentatonic scale like you're practicing lots in I'm your mind i'm practicing a lot but it's not thought and i don't do it as much as i used to mm-hmm. i used to always sit there but it's not so much thoughts as i'm i'm literally it's just like the music of it um, oh, okay. Those, the, it sounded what I was playing sounded way better than what I was singing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I was really being rough with those notes there. Um, <laughs> um, I think I used to. I used to have a crazy, like a big, like more wild thoughts in a row. But it, yeah, it really slows down a lot. I, I, when I notice it, when I notice my mind starting picking up steam like that, and it's, it is mm-hmm. starting to be more, I, I, that's when I start really employing more uh, sitting meditation practices. Right. Um, yeah. Because I do find that slows my mind down quite a bit when I'm yeah. active, you know, like actively sitting. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And holding your attention. Yeah. Totally. Do you ever have any. Um, Weird intrusive thoughts? I mean, not really. When I occasionally, I, I do when I look over the when I look over the edge of something. Mm. It's not it's not necessarily the thought. What if I threw myself? It's just I kind of can see myself falling over, right? And going and and falling, and then I go. Oh, I feel that feeling. Um, but I don't have a lot of like. I mean, occasionally, just you know ugly thoughts um yeah not too much though i mean it's pretty pretty quiet pretty quiet hmm. up there except for some jazz except for some jazz. jazz playing in the background <laughs> 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 it used to be it used to be father forgive me oh I'm so sorry father. oh wow yeah you've done a lot of work to to free yourself from that. That was a that was a that was a lot of, a lot of years of. 
painful, shameful patterns for sure. Huh. Did you have a moment where you were like, I'm not doing that. I'm not saying that thing. Hmm. It was, I mean, it was after that spa story of me letting go of God. Ah, right. That was from that moment. Like, it was so weird because at that, before that, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I had this moment in 2012 where I decided to be an atheist for a while on on the floor of a spa. And, um... It was weird because before that, I didn't have a concept of a, of God being somebody that I would like judge me for my sins anymore, or like send me to hell, or even being a someone at all. Hmm. Um, but I it was I still couldn't shake the compulsion of right. like repenting yeah. to this God until I was like, I'm going to let go of that God completely, of any God completely. Because I had let go of that God, I thought, but it was just in the fibers somehow. Uh, I couldn't shake that, and that that was such a freeing uh, thing for me, such a grace. And then, did you find you would catch yourself repeating that thing in your head, and then have to remind yourself, like, no, I don't believe that anymore. I don't think so. I think it just went away. Like, whoa. Whoa. That's so fascinating. I think there may have been like certain instant, you know, like after I'd masturbate or something, maybe, maybe there'd be like a, do I need to repent kind of impulse mm-hmm. for a second? Um, oh, I think by the time the impulse, so I had already like... <laughs> Funny enough, like I had started praying kind of again after that, and um, I think I had a conversation with God, if I recall correctly, of like, you know what, I'm not going to repent to you anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to trust. What? Well, whatever. I'm trying to say mm. something articulate here. It probably didn't say like really definitively. I just, <laughs> just was like, the feeling was like. I'm going to trust in your love in hmm. lo- and not make this a, an interactional um, relationship where I need to make sure I'm getting enough grace to cover. Like I, right. I'm just going to let go of all of that. And I'm telling you that right. because when I'm in that transactional space, I'm more selfish. I'm more lost in my ego. I'm more... Um, I'm less loving, I'm less open when I'm just like, this is what it is. Mm. Uh, my heart is actually more open. I'm hmm. more, I have more faith in a weird way. Hmm. Um, there is a, this brought back a, a, a thought from earlier in the conversation. You said some cultures don't have what did you say? I was talking about uh, depression. This was like way early on. We were talking about like patriotism okay. or something. You were talking about some cultures don't have something. I don't remember. Um, but that fired a thought then and it just came back mm. of what we think about when we like, what is apologizing and repenting or 
I remember reading about this culture that doesn't have a word for sorry. Mm. Um, and like they don't have a concept of sorry. And what is <laughs> when they wrong each other, they just try to make it right, however mm. they can. Um, and I'm not say I still say sorry to the people I love, and it is our culture, so I think there's value in it because it shows respect the way that we know how to show respect and stuff. But what a fascinating concept of a world mm-hmm. without the concept of being sorry. Um, mm, I don't know if that's, is it, it sounds like there would be an awareness of an injury and the need to repair, yeah. which would be the underlying Concept, root. Okay, yeah. So that to me, they just wouldn't have the language for it yeah. as a distinct like interval in that process. But I, I mean, I guess I don't know what the culture is and what, how they understand what happens, but maybe the same felt impact of like, Oh, I hurt someone and now I move into action. Yeah. Is there? That's what it sounded like from what I read. Right. I mean, it was just I read right. one book, but um huh. it sounded like yeah, it's not like they don't receive injury from each other. It's Right. when they do, what is the thing that yeah. they do and they don't they think talk like they don't have a concept of like saying something being the thing that would fix it. Right. They have or saying sorry basically. They just don't mm-hmm. have a word for sorry. Um, but I just think that's a fascinating... I'm not even saying that's a better way or anything. I just mm. think it's interesting that sorry is a construct. And what do we mean by it? What? How do we use it? Mm. Um, yeah. What worth does it have? And for me, religiously, that concept lost its value. Right. Not, not socially. Again, I'm not advocating for getting rid of saying sorry to people. <laughs> I'm just saying... Uh, but like the penance, the spiritual penance. Yeah, man, I don't know. To God, owing God, sorry. Like yeah, like God was holding out some sort of grace or forgiveness or mm. mercy unless I do my part and say these words. Mm. But for me, there was also like the, there was a compulsory aspect to it. Um, mm-hmm. That for me to be freed from that cycle, I kind of had to step outside of it entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Words mm-hmm. are, I mean, if I, if I was to start a career over again, I think I would be so interested in words, how they originate, how we use them culturally, the value and meaning. I mean, this is kind of, I've done a little bit of work in this in terms of the theory of symbolic interactionism, like how we co-create meaning, uh, the symbols of language, but these devices that we use to communicate that are so helpful for building bridges between us and also fracture Mm. life and experience and fragment it into shades that we all understand differently. I just find that philosophically so fascinating. That's so fascinating. Like when it happens all the time in couples therapy, this is where I see it actually really, show up like I have a a couple in front of me and someone will say um you know I I long for more intimacy and romance with you so finally got to the point where one person is able to articulate like what is it that you long for what's been missing what do you need and they say I long for intimacy and romance with you and if there is like some sort of communication breakdown 
I'll say to the other person, what did you hear them say? Like, can you Mm. repeat back to them what you heard them say? And they're Mm -hmm. like, you want me to buy you more flowers? Like, that's actually not (laughs) what they said. But isn't that interesting that you associate those things with romance and intimacy? Okay. So like, let's try again. Like, what did you say? I want more intimacy and romance. Okay. What did you hear them say? You want to have sex more frequently? (laughs) We're like... (laughs) And like, where, where in there is that other person going to slow down and say like, what does romance mean to you? How would you know if you were having more romance? What is that word? Like when you felt it before, what happened? What was going on? When did we do it right? What gets us closer to that? Like these, these word symbols that we use and we attach our own meaning to them are meant to bring us together, but based on our own meaning systems can often fragment us. Yeah. There is no objective use of language <laughs> like you can't right do it we just were listening to uh we're doing this class lisa and i um inner engineering which is really beautiful it's by this oh, guy cool. Sadhguru. and um one of the, his examples last night was about if you call some he's like if i call you an idiot he's like if you don't speak it i'm like you're an idiot you don't speak English you might you might be thinking I'm saying good morning and it has zero effect on you like you have to have context you have to take it on somehow and apply it before you might you, you know if you, maybe your name could be idiot and some people like, idiot idiot and it's just happy feelings the name <laughs> idiot has nothing I can't make you suffer by calling you idiot uh, it has to enter some sort of meaning making matrix there's this book that I just wanted to recommend that I love. I mean, it's, it's pretty philosophical and to, I don't know. It's not for everybody, but it's called the spell of the sensuous. And, uh, it's about the advent of language and like what that does to a organism and to a being. And like, it's obviously powerful, mm-hmm. but it can also, um, it's like abstracting reality in a way that can really take mm-hmm. you away from your sensuous experience of life, of being the earth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, that's, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because that was my first thought when you were talking about idiot and language and the meaning we ascribe to it. Because I guess, I mean, our conversation right now is fairly abstracted. And when someone uses language, there's also tone. Mm-hmm. Like language is not a disembodied process. It's mm-hmm. like even the neuroscience yeah. of embodied yeah, cognition yeah, yeah. tells us like our, it's from our body up that we make meaning. Yeah. And so if someone is like, uses a particular tone. Yeah. Even if the right words are it's there. Still communicating energy in a way or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember... I took a bunch of sign language classes. I had a, I used to work in a context where I needed a sign pretty regularly. And I remember the first, one of my first classes, the demonstration was about the, the person saying fine and how you can say fine yeah. with your hand, but you can be like, fine. fuck you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And even without the words, so to speak, just the tone can yeah. be communicated about the embodied language. Uh-huh. 
And my dog Willow gets that. Ah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, you can go. Willow, you're such an idiot. You're so stupid, Willow. And she's like, Whoa, tail wagging. <laughs> but, yeah. but you can also, I'm sure, be like, Willow, you are such a good dog. Ears down. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Well. Well, there we go. We really took a ride today. Do you want to call it here? What is the, yeah, yeah. sure. What are, what would we sum up? We didn't start with a word. Oh, my What gosh. word would you sum up this conversation with? Well, I hear it. The categories in my mind are sleep, thinking, and language, intrusive thoughts, which I guess could be in the thinking language category. Um, language? What else? Language? There's some good comments in here we didn't get to read out. Yeah, that's true. Um, oh, we believe. Puzzles, yes. Yes, we did. We hit the puzzles hard today. Puzzles? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is all kind of puzzles of the human existence here, like how we speak to each other, how we rest. Wow. Puzzles yes. feels good. Why what a it? great thread between it all. You really tied it up there. <laughs> What? Yeah. What? Thank it's, you. <laughs> it's true all of it thank you that's real uh, it's really nice to talk to you hillary it's good to see oh, you it's so good to talk to you too we'll see you when we see you yeah when when the world <laughs> is the world again when the <laughs> that was such a <laughs> a non-statement I statement know, i know <laughs> but I mean, it's like what are you Will we, will we ever be able to travel again? I hope so. Oh, I'll so look forward to I mean, seeing you then. Will, but... oh, and I'll push oh. you out of the way to hug your daughters. That's what's going to happen next time how, I see you. I know we're supposed to close. How, how isolated are you? Is this like a really personal question these days? Like, <laughs> it, yeah, everybody's got their own emotion around it. How isolated am I? Yeah. Um, well, I'm seeing most of my patients in person. Oh, you are. Yeah, things are like, we can sit six feet apart. We've got yeah. all these protocols in my building, but I'm seeing. Say, I mean, things in BC right now are going great. Numbers They're going wise. great, yes, numbers-wise. All the it's restaurants testing. are testing, what's better? Is everybody just more, like, ma- people wear masks, I assume? Um, community rates of transmission are extremely low. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, people, I think people are, are doing a good job of hygiene practices, mm-hmm. staying away from each other, masks, all all of the things um, that would help numbers stay low, testing, all of that. Do you think there's going to be a second shutdown? Um, do I think... I? So I have a friend who works for the health authority, and her and I were talking this morning, and, and based on what she was saying about how the novelty has worn off and because the novelty and the fear have subsided in lots of people that they might be moving kind of loosely with regulations in such a way that it could Mm. put us more at risk. But I don't know, there's something about our socialist nation and our Mm -hmm. healthcare and, um, I don't know, in BC, we've got lots of space 
terms of how far mm-hmm. people are spread out. I, th- I think that there could be a one, but I don't think it'll be as bad as it is in like California there. We'll see. We'll see. What do you think? I mean, it's already numbers are coming up. I know. In California. And hey? you look, it's interesting because I, uh, I spent a few weekends at Big Bear mm. in June and, uh, which is like a mountain town, a couple hours outside of LA. And mm-hmm. LA is very, at least my neighborhood in LA is very, everybody wears masks. Every business that's open is like right. very careful, has all the hand sanitizing things right. and, and everything's very, they take your temperature when you go to a restaurant. Right. And then Big Bear, it's just free for all. There's no, nobody's. Oh. It was crazy. Like, whoa. The, most people wear, no, not wearing masks. Um, my brother's taking vacation. My brother who lives in New York uh, is taking vacation right now in Missouri. And he's like, the okay. difference is crazy from New York to New York's what? got their shit together. And Missouri, like nobody's wearing masks. Whoa. No, um, yeah, it's strangely divided on political lines um, here in America. Like whether yeah. you wear a mask or not has to do with your political party. Right. What a thing. Right. What yeah. a fucking thing. Yeah. What? Well, that's like the the rates of transmission that are reduced based on mask wearing are not as effective as we'd like them to yeah. be. Like we actually know that it's not the panacea. But, but don't you your think it's related? related don't you think it's real related to your um vigilance? Yes. Well, this is what yeah. I mean is like also also being able to read a social situation and say like, oh, this is a kind of, this is the currency of safety right now in my community and how I care for people and what we've decided collectively is a thing that we will do to keep each other safe, Mm -hmm. even if it's not a hundred percent effective all the time. And it's in some cases, depending on how people use their masks, actually not effective. The point is we're signaling to other people we care about you right? and not about just what's most comfortable for me. And obviously there are people who can't wear masks and it's complicated for them uh, for all sorts of reasons. But yes, your, your political persuasion as it relates to how you understand uh, human connection and safety and your role in shaping a safe community seems to be visible in your face in a way that it wasn't before. Mm. Yeah. It seems like us being vigilant with, I th- I mean, I've been thinking about like cars as an analogy of mm-hmm. if somebody right now said there's a uh, a new mode of transportation that's going to get all of us around a lot quicker it's going to take out you know a little over a million lives a year people would be like fuck no you're crazy <laughs> right like we would not go for it right. but we do go for it because we're just used to it and what rather than like trying to shut down cars we just try to like, what can we do to make driving the safest thing possible? Right. So let's make good laws about this and let's have good practices and seatbelts. And because you eventually you just got to like, I guess this is the world we live in now. The right. cars are a thing. Right. And it seems to me that like event, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with COVID potentially even longer than like the, after the vaccination, like it's possible. Right. This just is a thing now. Um, yeah. So like, how do we, um, live 
as a social mm-hmm. species with mm-hmm. with the thing in, that can kill a bunch of us uh, like we're gonna have to like kind of reframe how we think about how to be together yes i don't know yes that reminds me of a book i read a while ago uh by dan gardner called risk all about how people relate to risk the kind of the social behaviors around risk things like insurance buying goes up after an earthquake even mm-hmm. though statistically the longer it's been since an earthquake is when you actually need to buy insurance the most like the longer further away from an earthquake the more likely the risk yeah, right. and i'm curious about i haven't read that book in a while but it would be a good one to pick up to figure out again the psychology between behind decision making as it relates to what kind of risk we decide is reasonable what kind of risk we decide is unreasonable right. yeah it's mm. more dangerous now right than it was mm-hmm. in march <laughs> to go right out. right so but we're all like eh, well we did it yeah. we did the quarantine <laughs> yeah we, we put our time in yeah yeah crazy i'm sorry uh, I just okay keep extending the conversation i'm enjoying talking oh to my you, gosh no it's so good call it a day. thank you litter just for me thanks everybody the alien